by paying homage. Oh, maybe I should introduce myself. Uh, I, uh, my name is Aya Ananda Bodhi, and uh, I come from originally from Wales, and I've, I've been living in the Bay Area since just towards the end of 2009, so not so long. And I live at Aloka Vihara in San Francisco. You'll find at the back some brochures about the place and some cards that tell you what's going on and what you can come and join in with. So uh, Anna Garrick Maria is also living. She's that we have two um, fully ordained nuns and one Anna Garrick at the moment. He'll soon be taking uh, the next level of ordination, <laughs> seminary ordination. So we're just a little community, just like a, a seed of a community. Uh, with the intention to grow into a forest, <laughs> if the conditions are right. And, uh, and I, I, I lived and trained in the monasteries in the Ajahn Chah lineage uh, in England, and, and uh, Anagarika Maria also did so for five years already. Um, she's been five years, I was uh, about 18 years. And uh, one, of the, one of the things that stuck with me in, in the training was for, at least for our, our monastics, we, were, we, we, we kind of inherited this story from Ajahn Samedo of when he, um, he was asked to give a talk to the community in the monastery where he lived. There's quite a lot of people would come. And so he decided what he was going to speak about and he did lots of study and he, he got a really, really good talk together. And he delivered this talk, this Dhamma talk, and everybody loved it. Was, everyone was raving about it. Oh, great talk, Samedo. And, and, uh, and then he went back to Ajahn Chah and told, you know, kind of very, feeling very pleased with himself, and told Ajahn Chah that, you know, oh, I gave a really good talk, people really liked it. And, and Ajahn Chah said, don't ever do that again. <laughs> <laughs> so he didn't mean don't give a good talk, but he meant don't... Um, don't um, spend a lot of time preparing a talk and making it all good so that you give a great talk and you feel good about it. But just let go and trust in the moment. So this is something that kind of really has gone deep into my heart. So this is my practice of uh, speaking from the moment. And it, it can be a little bit uh, anxiety-provoking at times because it, it's not always clear what's going to come out. But just uh, as part of the carrying on really the, the, um, the lineage and the intention of you know, that the Dharma is, is present here and now, always. So you know, I, I do also just want to say I also very much value those people who do study uh, deeply and uh, have, have in-depth knowledge and can, can uh, also share the, the, de- the detail and structure of the teaching. This is also a great blessing, but my particular style is to speak from the moment. So, And uh, one thing that's been on my mind, uh, maybe being a nun is, <laughs> brings it onto my mind, is, is uh, renunciation, renunciation and letting go. So I figure that renunciation isn't a very hip topic, probably doesn't come up that often. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, you know, we tend to think that renunciation, well, who's going to want to do that? Maybe the nun, you know, nun, okay, nun wants to renounce. But most people, are, you know, want, we want what, what, what's certain is that we all want to experience happiness and peace 
and a sense of place in the world. That's a, a really common thing. This is what we all seek. And then there are the many ways that we look for it. So we can look for happiness in having the right house, having the right things in the house, having the right clothing, having the right level of degree, having the right relationship. Now all of these are places we seek happiness. And they can bring us happiness to a certain degree, you know, to some happiness. But in my experience, you know, even I, even I would follow those things that, would, that I felt would lead me to happiness before I was a nun. You know, and they would for a little while. I'd get, get a little, you know, maybe a little gratification or, or a lot of gratification, and then that would change. And then there'd be this kind of sense of wanting again. There'd be this sense of lack inside a certain kind of something missing inside that was looking for fulfillment. And so then it would start going out and looking for something else that would fill that gap. And I would find something for a while, and then it would be clear, well, no, this isn't it, this isn't it, this isn't, this isn't leading to lasting happiness. And uh, I was lucky enough to, to have a, a situation, really, really what I wanted, you know, really what I'd what I wanted, and, and I, I, I had it, it was right there, everything I wanted was right there in my life. And I could see, this isn't it. Even if this works for some time, it's not going to work for the rest of my life. And then I'm going to be left with this same old feeling of, of, of this kind of empty space in here that's looking to be filled and fulfilled by something. So... I was fortunate enough to learn the practice of mindfulness of breathing. And in that, I think the second or third time I practiced meditation, I had just the tiniest moment of everything falling away and a sense of peace. That was so wonderful. It's not, it was not because the conditions were great, you know, it was just a simple little place, not, my body was very uncomfortable. My mind had been terribly restless through most of the time, most of the meditation, but there was just this little gap where it all stopped, and there was peace. And I just felt, oh, that's it. That's that's what I want. There it is. And I, and I could see that it wasn't that I had created it, but I'd stayed still long enough to let all of the clamour of my mind drop away just for a moment, and then I could see the potential of the mind. Peaceful, clear, bright. Just for a moment. And then all the clamour came back in again. But that was enough just to keep me going in that direction. And uh, so finding myself in a, a situation where pretty much my, my dream was, was, I was living my dream and uh, realizing, okay, I need to give this up because even though I've got my dream, it is just a dream. It isn't actually going to give me the happiness, I'm, the deep happiness I'm looking for. So, you know, the monastic life is quite a, a radical um, renunciation. You know, you give up your name, you give up your hair, you give up your clothes, you give up your 
virtually every pleasure you could wish for, you give it up. You can still eat, but not much else. <laughs> Go for walks. But, you know, you give up, you give a lot up. And one would think, you know, if you give all of those things up, you'd probably have a really miserable life and get quite dried up and be, you know, if it's old sourpuss. <laughs> Some people do end up like that. <laughs> but if you're doing it in the right way, you know, you're giving up, you're giving what, you're giving up what's giving you some happiness, to make space for what can give you really deep happiness. And you don't get that really deep happiness unless you give something up, because the the Buddha's path isn't a, a path of accumulation; it's a path of relinquishment. It can, it can appear like a path of accumulation sometimes. You know, there's, you go to a Buddhist magazine and there's all of these equipment you can yeah. get. <laughs> the perfect meditation stool, the perfect zafu, the perfect clock. You know, and you think, if I've got all of those things, then I'll have a really good meditation. And, and then you have it all and it's just the same, isn't it? Same body, same mind. <laughs> so... It's not a path of accumulation, but it's a path of, of relinquishment, of letting go. And renunciation is not only about letting go of, of, of the pleasures of what we want, but it's also letting go of the, the sense of identity, and the way we, we hold on, we grasp our, our identity. And even though we're trained to do that in the Western culture, it's very, very, especially in America, actually, probably more than any other country, we're really, we're really trained to be somebody, be an individual, stand out, you know, make your mark in the world. The Buddha's path is inviting us to let all of that go. So ultimately, to be nobody, going nowhere. <laughs> And it's not as easy as it sounds. <laughs> so again and again, we, we, we grasp hold of our identity. Even the, even the parts of ourselves we don't like, we hold on tight to those things that we regret in our past or in our recent past. And we hold on to those painful feelings, painful memories. Tightly, because it gives us a sense of self. Or even, and maybe there's a, there can be a sense of righteousness with it, you know. But the Buddha is inviting us to let it all go. Let go of the sense of self, the, the successful self, the strong, healthy self, the young, beautiful self, the aging self, the sick self, the confused, the wanting. He's inviting us to let it all go in the moment and just be this. Just be the seeing. Just be the hearing. Be the breathing. Now how is it if we let go of the stories? I think it can be quite frightening even the thought of it could be quite scary. You know? Who am I going to be if I let go of all those stories? 
who I'm going to be if I let go of that sense of who I am? That's a good question. And then another good question is to ask, you know, has this has this sense of self led to any lasting happiness? I don't know about you, but for me, when the, when the, a strong sense of self arises, it's not a very pleasant experience, and it can feel even if it's a, in a positive way, it can feel you know maybe arrogant or or, or grandiose, you know. You might, you, might feel, you might feel confident, but it's forceful. And then there's the insecure sense of self, feeling a bit shy, nervous, doubtful. And, or having done something wrong, you know, something that you, something that you wished you hadn't done, and there's this kind of contraction. Oh God, I did that, oh no. You know, these, these are all the, the, the many, well, few of the many ways that the self manifests, and those those feelings are, are what we'd call dukkha. So I remember Ajahn Sumedho saying once, "Being someone, anyone at all, is suffering." <laughs> I love that because we often feel like, well, being me is really kind of uncomfortable. But if anyone was like. If I was like her, then I'd be fine, you know. Yeah. If I was like him, but actually, it's the being someone. It's the it's the attachment and the identification to being someone, which is the the painful place. So the Buddha is inviting us to let go of all of this. Can we let go of our identification with this body, with this feeling, with this thought? with this perception. <coughs> Can we let go? And just know it for what it is. So it's not like letting go is getting rid of anything. It's, it's just, oh, I like to, if you can see, it's the difference between grasping really tightly <coughs> and letting go. So the striker in my hand is still in my hand, whether I let go or I grasp. It's still there. It's just it's much easier like this. There's no problem. I don't, I don't get tired out. It can just sit there in the palm of my hand. So it's the same with, with the sense of self, with who we take ourselves to be. You know, we can hold on to it, can tighten around it and feel really oh, awful or, or um, great, you know, wonderful and the best in the world, which of course at some point will change. <laughs> you know, we can feel that those feelings, and those are like grasping. We're grasping into the identity. We've become whatever name you want to give yourself. And when we let go, there's still this body there's still these feelings, there's still these perceptions, there's still these thoughts, there's still the sensory experience, they're all still here, but they're, they're not, there's not a me doing it all. There's not a me breathing, there's just breathing. 
There's not a me that's fearful. There's just fear present right now. And it's changing. So it's a different framework. It's a different way of, of meeting our experience. And it doesn't ask us to get rid of anything. It's not saying you, you're not supposed to be fearful. You shouldn't have jealousy. Of course, it's nice not to have it. But instead of saying you shouldn't have this, it's, it's in, the, the Dharma is inviting us to turn back and have a look for ourselves, investigate it for ourselves. What does it feel like to be jealous? It feels quite painful. It's like, a, it's like a poison in the heart. And what effect does it have on our life? Well, negative effect. You know, it doesn't help me, doesn't help anyone else. So then, you know, then we use our wisdom and discernment and we see, you know, this is a, a painful feeling, it, it doesn't benefit myself, it doesn't benefit others. Do I want to keep this? Do I, do I want to cultivate it? Or do I want to learn how to let go? And in learning how to let go, there's this, it's like bringing attention to the feeling, the feeling of that quality of jealousy or fear or anger or desire bringing one's attention to the experience, the direct experience of it, and knowing that you don't have to follow it, it doesn't have to be followed. So it begins in the heart, and then there's the stories that go on in the mind, and then if we're not mindful, then there's the speech that comes out from that, and maybe action, maybe we do something um, with our, from our mind that's, that's clouded by so jealousy or fear, and then we, we create difficulties in the world for ourselves and others, and we're left with that, that painful feeling of, oh gosh, and now this has happened, and you know, sometimes it can go on for years, just one, one thing that we weren't mindful enough to keep our mouth shut at the right time, <laughs> you know, can have years of painful consequences. So, you know, learning to <coughs> learning to know what is going on here in this body-mind and to develop the, the strength of awareness to, to choose, you know, do I want to act on this or not? So when we don't have awareness very strong, then we're just compulsively acting on everything that pops into our mind. But if we have a strength of awareness, we can choose. We can choose to let go of, of being right. So that's a renunciation, that's a big renunciation. I'm right, you know, and well, what if I let go of that, even if I am right? What if I let that go and just let, let the other person be right? Just see what that's like. You know, it's a little, it's like a little ego death when we do that. Or, um, having our way, you know, I want to have it my way. This culture is also very much geared towards that, you, that we can, as much as possible, have things our way. And, you know, so that, that builds up a more and more of a sense of intolerance. You know, we've got to have it my way. It's got to be that way, because I've had it that way all this time, so I need it like that. So what about a little renunciation, you know, just letting go of having it my way? 
And also bringing to mind, well, what is, you know, I might be able to get what I want. I can go down to Fairfax and with Anna Garrick and Maria, and then she can take me into a shop and buy me something nice, you know. They've got everything you could imagine in Fairfax. Beautiful. We went to, we went to have a little look at a um, statue, a, a certain, like Asian art statue shop. And the most beautiful Buddhas and Kuan Yin's. And, and there's, there's all these different stores. So you can, you can go and, and do that. But then, you know, if I, if I go and get whatever I want, whenever I feel like it, what are the consequences of that? No, I mean... Even though, I'm sure everybody here, if you go home and look in your in your um, kitchen, there'll be something there that's that's got uh, exploited labour behind the scenes. <coughs> and probably myself, if I look at my wardrobe, what the few things I have, there'll be something there that's got exploited labour in it. You know, so so we get nice cheap things in this country because other people work really hard. For very little in other countries. So kind of taking that into the picture, not to feel guilty, not to feel like, oh, I'm a bad person or I shouldn't have anything nice, but just this is the reality, you know, taking in the whole picture. And then when we take the whole picture in, it might be our favourite chocolate bar. So we, we got really into Hershey's chocolate bars when we got over here. Chocolate's one of the few things we're allowed to have in the evening. <laughs> we, we eat in the morning, but we can have plain chocolate and cheese in the afternoon. So Hershey's is very sweet, very nice. We like that. And we're eating Hershey's chocolate bar. And then after a while, we started to hear what was going on behind the scenes in, of Hershey's. It's really pretty terrible, actually. So then we just realised that don't ever ask for Hershey's chocolate bar again, because you don't want to, even if it's your favourite bar, you don't want to have that at the expense of other people's suffering. So just taking that in, you know, just encourage you to take that in in your life. What, how can I be in this world in a, in a, in a harmless way, or as, as harmless as possible? You know, how can I live in a way that as much as possible is, is ethical and considerate, compassionate? And it's a reality that none of us can 100%. You know, we're all kind of caught in the same web. But uh, we can at least bring attention to what we're doing, how we're living our life. So that can be in terms of what we, we're purchasing, what we support you know, through, through consumerism, and also how we uh, meet the you know, people in our lives, and, uh, and also that, you know, how, we, how we use what we have. So we might be used to just having, putting a lot on our, on our plate and then eating half of it and throwing the rest away. It's, we just don't even think about it, it's just normal. But uh, what about if we just took what we need? So a really good little question in, when, in relation to renunciation, because probably to have the word renunciation in your mind isn't going to help that much because it sounds a bit of a heavy word. But just to have the question, is this enough? Is this enough? Because quite often we have enough and then we just keep going. And then we have more than we need and then we waste and other people have less because we've had too much. So just to ask that question, is this enough? And it might not be perfect, it might not be the way we'd hoped it would be, but it's enough.
And in, in learning how to be with what is enough, we can, we, again, we need, to, we need to be able to come into contact with the feeling in the body. Because the, the craving comes, you know, it's like a strong urge that comes through the heart. And, you know, sometimes that we just, I mean, sometimes you can't stop it, you just have to follow it because it's, it's so strong. But if you're doing that, to follow it with something that's harmless as, as, as much as possible. But to, just to get to know, you know, what is the feeling of craving? What is that pull of the heart? And what is it like if I just stay with it instead of following it this time? And sometimes it can feel impossible. You feel like, I just can't bear it, I can't bear it, I've got to have that thing. But actually you can bear it. If you just stay present and investigate it, take an interest, it's like, oh, it's a, it's a yearning feeling. It pulls, it tugs at my heartstrings. And then at some point it kind of settles down, gives up. So we get plenty of practice of this in the monastery. <laughs> because there aren't so many outlets for, the, for craving. But it, it, it builds a real sense of inner strength and, and self-respect because you know, even though you can't always, um, you know, so of course still the, the mind gets drawn to nice things and you take a little more than you should. It's not that you know, we're perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But it, it, just living in a more conscious way and being willing to give up a little bit more. You know, we can live, it, it brings a certain sense of ease and happiness that just doesn't come in the same way through getting things. And even though getting things, lovely things, they, they, it has its short-term happiness and joy and gratification. On the long term, it's like, there's... Here I am with all these things, you know. You sort of don't even notice them after a while. But the, the, the happiness that comes from generosity, you know, giving something that you want to somebody else, something that you value to some, somebody else, that's, that's a really beautiful joy. That, that lasts a long time. Or the happiness of giving up something that you know is going to harm you. This is great, it feels really good. Or that you know is harming others. Even though you really want it, you're just like, do I want it more than I want the well-being of those people? You know, and, then you, and then you let that go and you feel the wrench of letting it go. And then, and then a sense of joy arises and, and self-respect. So... So it's sometimes said that renunciation, it can be kind of divided into three parts. And the first part being sila, which is like uh, the Buddha pointed to the five precepts, which I often speak about here, as a, a framework for happiness and a framework for respect to oneself and respect to others. And those, in the, in the most basic form, those five are, are not to take the life intentionally take the life of any living being, not to take what doesn't belong to you, to use your sexuality in a responsible way, to refrain from lying, misleading, and to refrain from getting intoxicated with uh, 
drugs and alcohol. So the, the, the first four, they're, they're ethical precepts, and the fifth one is like a protection of the other four. So, so it doesn't mean that you, know, you just have a, like a half a glass of wine over dinner or something. It's about really getting intoxicated, where, you, where you're not, where you've really lost mindfulness, you don't really know what you're doing clearly anymore. So those are, that's the, the first kind of level of renunciation. And like I say, it's, it's a renunciation that leads to happiness, not a, not a renunciation that leads to, to more misery. And I always feel it was given the, these five, having, having lived at, without them for a number of years before I became a nun, you know, I know the, the difference and I, I know the, the, the happiness that comes from having a clear conscience, from living without remorse. I mean, this is a great happiness. It's a great freedom. It's wonderful. So this is supported by the, the five precepts. And um, the second level of renunciation being giving up, uh, like spending one's energy in the wrong way. So uh, spending hours gazing into the computer screen or the TV or uh, maybe being, having a lot of vanity, you know, spending hours making yourself look Beautiful, looking in the mirror, looking in the mirror, looking in the mirror. Uh, there's places where we, we kind of leak energy, waste energy. Um, or getting lost in long, kind of mindless conversations just, just, just for something to do. Where there's no real clear intention and there's no, no clear result, it's just a, a distraction. You know? So these are kind of ways we, we spill our energy. So uh, renouncing those things, kind of being aware of that and renouncing those things, when you, when you realize you're, you're absorbed into the computer again, you came to do this one little thing and now you've got done about 500 other things but you haven't done that yet. <laughs> and then just like, okay, rem remembering. So maybe just do that one thing, switch the computer off or shut it, uh, put it to sleep or whatever. So <coughs> it's like catching when you're, when you're losing your energy in those ways and stopping, you know, letting it go, rel um, relinquishing what you're doing and coming back into presence again. So often we do those things because we're not, we're not comfortable with ourselves, we don't feel comfortable being fully present. It's easier to distract than to be with this feeling of who and what we are. So we really have to learn to, to come back here and to make friends with this body-mind. You know, here we are, this is it for this lifetime, you know, we've got this, whether we like it or not, <laughs> this is it. So, you know, we may as well make friends with what we got. Even if you don't like the shape or the, or the, um, the way the mind works or the, the health or whatever it is of this body, this is what we've got. It's precious actually precious opportunity so to, to make friends with it and to get to know these thoughts and feelings that arise in the, the body-mind. And the, the third level of, of renunciation is what I actually started with, which is renouncing the identity to these thoughts and feelings. And in renouncing the identity we can just let them be there. They have a beginning, they go through a pro, they have a middle and they have an end, everything. 
Every thought, every feeling that you've ever experienced has had a beginning, a middle and an end. Whether we act on it or we don't act on it, it's the same. It has a beginning, a middle and an end. But uh, it's not the same in that when we act on it, we create a whole extra world from that feeling. Mm-hmm. So learning how to come back to this being right here and to make friends with it, to make friends with ourselves, to forgive ourselves you know, for the many foolish things we've done in a lifetime. And, but forgive with a, with a sense of wanting to start afresh, to really align in the right direction. <coughs> and to have a sense of, of kindness and compassion for this being. And as you develop more and more kindness and compassion for this being, it naturally, it naturally translates to others. Because we're basically not so different. So these are aspects of renunciation, and they lead, uh, you know, the, the, the greatest renunciation leads to greatest happiness. So Ajahn Chah is a very famous saying of Ajahn Chah, where he says, if you let go a little, you have a little peace. If you let go a lot, you'll have a lot of peace. But if you let go completely, you'll have complete peace. So we can start with letting go a little and seeing what that feels like, and then maybe doing a, letting go a lot once in a while. But just keep, keep going in that direction, because that is the direction that leads to the happiness that we're all looking for, that we're often looking in the wrong places for. And I know I'm a nun sitting up here saying it, so you could easily say, think, oh, well, she's a nun, so she can do it. But don't do that. <laughs> Because this is a path for, for everyone. The Buddha's path is not just for nuns and monks, it's for everyone. He's very clear about that. This is a, a path of awakening for, for those with little dust in their eyes. Any, anyone who has the interest and ability to hear the teaching. So everyone is here. Everyone here must have little dust in your eyes. Unless you've been dragged here by somebody against your will, <laughs> you must have little dust in your eyes to come on a Monday night you know, to a teaching on the Dharma and to sit in meditation. So this teaching applies directly to you and it leads in the right direction and it's, uh, it's letting go, letting go of the burdens, letting go of the unnecessary complications and knots that we carry around with ourselves all the time. And uh, so the, the Buddha's invitation is to complete happiness, freedom. And it's an invitation that's made to all of us. So I hope that uh, you'll take this home with you and uh, you know, have a look at your kitchen and your wardrobe. And just think a little bit about the consequences of our actions. You know, what happens. And see, you know, what can I let go of? You don't have to do it all at once. Don't sell your house and go and wandering on the streets of Fairfax or anything. But just, you know, let go a little, and then let go a little more, and then keep doing it. And you can also, you know, have the intention of, may this be of benefit to other beings. May my life, my actions benefit other sentient beings. It can be an encouragement. So I'd like to end there. 
And we have just a few minutes if uh, anyone would like to ask any questions. We have about ten, eight minutes. Please raise your hand if you have a question. Yes. Gentle with a cap. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much. Mm. Um, I have a pretty quick question. I want to know if you have a mantra for letting go. And if you don't, that's okay also, but uh, yeah, something, I just want to repeat something in my head. Yes. I mean, I, what, I, what I use is, it's not, it, it does lead to letting go, is, is may I be well, may I be happy, or may I be well, may I be free. I just say that may I be well. So if there's a lot of, a lot of holding on, mm -hmm. it's painful, mm -hmm. and then you know it, and then it's like, may I be well, may I be free, may I be well, may I be free. Or, and if it's, a, if it's also in relation to someone else, may you be well, may you be free. So like metta practice, actually loving-kindness practice. But you, you can uh, come up with something in your own words that really works, but it's about bringing a sense of kindness, really. Yeah. Thank you. Mm. Yes. A, you know, none and someone who spends a very great deal of time, I imagine, sitting in meditation practice. I imagine that you do that. It varies, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> we have quite a busy life, actually, but we have oh. times of retreat also, yeah. Well, that might possibly be part of the answer to my mm -hmm. question, but I, yeah, I'm just simply wondering what you might do with the physical pain that you might experience in sitting uh -huh. in meditation practice possibly, you know, in other forms of mm -hmm. meditation, walking, etc. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, there's different things. First of all, it's good to do some kind of body exercise like yoga, stretching, that, that helps the body to be prepared to sit for a long period of time. And uh, to know your body. So if you have a pain that's, that's associated with an injury, you have to be careful around it. You don't want to push that at all because you can do yourself a worse injury. So know your body well enough that you know what you can do and what you can't do. And then um, if it's a pain, if it's like a, a meditation pain, which is like a phantom pain really, <laughs> you get these, these pains when you sit in meditation, it's perfectly alright, then you sit in meditation and you suddenly get intense pain in your back or your knee or hip or something. And it, it doesn't happen at any other time apart from when you're meditating. And then when you get up, so you're sitting in excruciating pain and maybe you're just trying to sit with it and you have shift around and then you get up, the bell rings and suddenly phew, all the pain is released. And, or or you, you get up and two seconds later the pain's gone. So that's, a, that's kind of tension pain that built, that's the, the mind creates that pain through, through a sense of tension that can arise in, in sitting. So if it's that kind of pain, I'd say... Um, there are two ways. One is that you can... You can be aware, well also if you have chronic pain actually, but if you have chronic pain and you're sitting, then you must sit in a way that supports you, not, not in a way that challenges. But if you experience pain, then, then to 
like make the mind greater than the pain. So what tends to happen is there's a pain in the body and the mind locks onto that pain. All it knows is that pain. And then it starts to say stories about what's going to happen and they're going to be crippled for life and I'm never going to get out of here. You know, all of that goes on. These terrible scenarios happen in the mind. And so, so to move away from that, recognize, okay, that's not helpful, and to move into a, a more of a spacious relationship with the pain. So there's the awareness of the pain and it's like, it's like that, it's, it's embracing and and then see, notice what's going on between the awareness of the of the pain and the pain itself. Is there probably there will be, is there aversion? Is there aversion? Is there fear? And then pay attention to that. Pay attention to the aversion or pay attention to the fear of the pain rather than the pain itself. So you get to know what your relationship with the pain is and you're not just buying into it in in the same way. And then once you have a um, a perspective on that and, and you have some clarity around the way the awareness is meeting the object of awareness so the way the mind is the meditating mind is meeting the, the, the pain which is at that moment the object uh, then you can also go into the pain itself so if you, if you haven't looked at the at the relationship to the pain I, I wouldn't recommend going into it straight away but if you kind of if you've done a bit of work on that and you can see okay it is just pain and there is some fear around it and but it's okay and then you start to bring it like f- use the pain itself as a object of meditation and go into it and what you find is that it's a, it what, excuse me when you're really present with pain you can't really call it pain anymore it becomes a sensation and it's intense it has an intensity but it's not really what you could call pain, it's just a, an intense sensation and it's always changing, vibrating, shifting around and, and it comes and goes, even chronic pain it comes and goes to some degree. So I'd say those are the sort of steps of, of coming into a relationship with pain and also not to push yourself too too far. The, the Buddha, he, he um, did all these ascetic practices and it looked incredibly painful and, and uh, very intense, and then he realised that no, that's not the, the right way. So if you've got so much pain that you're just spending the whole sitting trying to bear with the pain, then move, you know, sit in a more comfortable position because you want to have enough clarity of mind that you can be with what's going on. That the mind's not flooded with the, with the stress of pain. Thank, yeah. you, thank you. I really like the, 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 the idea of coming into relationship with mm-hmm. and seeing really looking at, mm-hmm. well, what is your relationship with that? I think mm-hmm. that's a really good step. Because <coughs> mm-hmm. it's usually, go away. Yeah, you know, that's right. usually what it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the last question. <coughs> well, I'm in the middle of moving, and 30... 32 years worth of accumulations and letting go of things. And I have the question of hoarding comes up. <laughs> and, and what to, you know, what to hold on to, what to let go of, where should they go, and it's a process. Mm-hmm. What, what's my question? Um, any tips? <laughs> <laughs> you want me to come over and give you a hand? <laughs> <laughs> Well, that question, what is enough, is a good question. 
So you got you got a lot, you know, maybe loads of a particular thing, and then what is enough? Do you, do you need all of that, or do you just need one of them, or three of them, whatever? And and to recognise what's sentimental and what's needed, and I think it's you have to be discerning because it's not good to if you have a kind of a sentimental attachment to something and you give it away too soon, it can be detrimental because then you can spend years wishing that you hadn't done that. So you have to be a little bit careful, but. Like looking at what what do you really need, you know, and what do you not need? And I would suggest, because if you have a lot of stuff, and if it's stuff that could maybe be sold in a garage sale or, or something, then to to do that as an act of generosity. So you know, decide to do a, a garage sale in and dedicate the the fun what comes into some good cause, you know. So then you're you're both letting go of what you don't need and you're benefiting others. And maybe you might let go of a few things you really want to keep, but you can see, well, that, you know, that would that would uh, benefit somebody better than it benefits me. So just to try and bring a sense of generosity and, and giving along with it, because the the mind kind of wants to keep hold of everything. And also, I mean, if you want to take a slightly more radical step, is to contemplate your own death. You know, what are you going to take with you when you die? <laughs> and just see, you know, what, what is really important. I was, just, I was just hearing, because there have been all these fires in Colorado, and I was hearing about um, when, there's a, when there's a fire, it's the people who stop for a moment to, to take that precious thing with them that usually end up not getting out of the house. And it's the people who just run out of the house who, who survive. So. You know, just look at well, what is really, really important. Okay. So on that jolly note, <laughs> we're going to end this evening. <laughs> so it's been very lovely to spend time with you. I'm afraid it's, it's, it's just after nine now, so there won't be any more questions, sorry. And please do pick up a, a brochure as you leave about Aloka Vihara and uh, out where we live. And uh, there are little cards that, that tell you the schedule and there's also, it has the website on there. So we really welcome people to come for the sittings and the meditation afternoons, Dhamma talk on a Friday. You're very welcome. And I hope to see you at Aloka Vihara. Thank you for your attention and time. Thank you.